Hi, everybody. Welcome back to Layman Learn Torah. Changing my pronunciation there. I'm tired of the backlash. On a side note, my, my brother-in-law, if you're listening, I know you're listening. He has told his one of his law associates, he like gave him the job of listening to our episode and counting how many times I mispronounced the word Torah. So here's I thought it was going to be like how many times we say the word like. Which is a lot. <laughs> This is episode three. In episode three, we will be covering chapters 16 and 17. In Lech Lecha. In Lech Lecha. Yeah. Last episode, we were talking mostly about Lot, uh, Lot and his relationship with Abraham, or Abraham at this point. And Lot's resettlement in Sodom and Amorah and how that affects their relationship. And then we moved on to the Brit Benat Bitarim. Today we're going to be covering the birth of Yishmael, who was um, Avram's son from his maidservant. Right. We clarified as a... Is a basically a slave. I felt the need to clarify what maidservant meant because I think if we just consider it someone that she employs or a member of her household, um, the the reading I think for me gets a little complicated and uncomfortable. Whereas um, we spoke with the rabbi with our rabbi. And he said that it's most definitely a maidservant is a slave. Which I guess would have made it a little more PC for Sarai to be like, here, take her yeah. as your... More digestible. Okay. <laughs> That's my All right, not PC, sorry, at all. <laughs> <laughs> so as we established... Um, before the Chachai even started, Sarai is super barren. Super barren. Super not having Abraham's children. Mm -hmm. And so she has a maidservant named Hagar. The funny thing is, I remember growing up knowing for a fact that Hagar was Paro's daughter. Part of the lore that I grew up with is that along with this banishment, uh, he hands his daughter over to Avram, saying, you know, I see the miracles that this God has performed on behalf of this man. It's better for my daughter to be a maidservant in this guy's house than, like, a princess in my castle. Mm-hmm. Lo I, and behold, I, none of that actually happened in the text. Right, so I wanted to say that I don't remember that, but I don't know if I wasn't taught it or... I wasn't. You just don't remember. (laughs) Right. Or I just wasn't paying attention. Um, And not to belittle um, Midrashim. Not at all. Not at all. They make everything a lot more interesting, honestly. A lot more interesting. Mm -hmm. And I think that, you know, rabbis from a really long time ago, I don't even know how old. (laughs) I didn't do that homework a long time ago. Um, I think that in their, you know, wisdom, they studied this all day, every day. They didn't just wake up you know, right. day and decide to start reading it like Celia and I, but they've been studying it forever and ever. And, you know, they've come to these realizations. And so now they must, we... yeah, they were passed down from somewhere, but it also, but it always kind of made the story a little more interesting for me. Yeah. Knowing that Hagar was the daughter of Paro because 
in my head, I'm like, this woman is a slave in another woman's household. So who can kind of blame her for getting a big head when she immediately becomes pregnant with Avram's son? Sarai realizes she's very barren and she wants Avram to have an heir. And so she gives Avram the maidservant and says, have a baby with this chick. Here you go. Yeah. Now, Hagar gets pregnant immediately. And in Pasuk Gimel 3, it says, Vatekal givirta be'eneha. Her mistress um, was made little in her eyes. Or, or in here it says she looks at her mistress with contempt. So it was easier to imagine somebody who came from a palace... Um, looking at her, her new mistress with like, huh, see, you thought you were better than me, but I got pregnant first. But in the next pasuk, Sarai says to Abraham, this is all your fault. Yeah, that was all your fault. I put this maidservant in your arm and now she sees that she's pregnant and she's disrespecting me. What did Avram do here? I mean, he just gave her exactly what she wanted and what she asked for. And Was I, this not an example of Shalom Bait? Yeah, I don't know. And all, the fact that she says, like, let Hashem judge between me Yeah, I also you, had some questions about that. Because um, I have a couple of questions. Is Number one, did Avram protest at all? It doesn't no. say anywhere, but I don't know if we're supposed to be inferring whether Avram protested at all to the idea of procreating with this Egyptian maidservant. No, he's, it says Avram listened to Sarai. Right. So what is his fault that he just went along with it? On the one hand, I want to feel bad for Sarai. It says that she's been in Canaan for 10 years. And she, so even before... Everything that happened with Lech Lecha, they've, they've been traveling for a very long time, and then they finally settle in Canaan. And then even then, 10 years from then, she still hasn't conceived. So I would imagine, Sarai, I really don't want to get stereotypical, but I would imagine Sarai is becoming a hysterical woman. If you're listening on the podcast, I'm using air quotes. This idea, <laughs> yes. this idea of the hysterical woman. The true... Woman. Um, this woman who is losing her mind obviously can't make sense because, you know, she's so overcome by her emotions that she's not thinking logically, which there's lots of hysterical men that I know. So, you know, (laughs) we need to relax with that term. But when, so when she says like, it's all your fault, I, I put the slave in your arms I'm I'm thinking of like the arguments that I've had with my husband where I'm trying to get him to not do a thing by yeah. telling him to do a thing. Oh. And then when okay. he agrees too readily and I'm like, you weren't supposed to want to do that. You were supposed <laughs> to so say no. <laughs> yeah, right. But so I feel like that's kind of what's happening here is like said I was supposed to was hoping that Abraham would be like, no, you're my one and only forever and ever. Oh, interesting. Yeah, I don't know. That's how I was seeing it. And then... That's even more stereotypical than what I said. I so she's like drawing like him jealous. in to then yeah. just, you know... <laughs> 
<laughs> knock them down. I feel like on the one hand, Sedai is kind of like doing whatever she can in order to make sure that there is this pr like promise fulfilled. And I feel like on some level here, the the huge covenant that was made by Hashem with Abraham and Sedai at this point, they kind of feel like failures. I want to kind of input on, you know, I just want to kind of project those thoughts on them. Right, like they're... Yeah, they're like, wait a, a minute. shortcoming on their part. On their part. Yeah. Like, I was supposed to create this great nation. I'm panicking. God told me I'm supposed to create this great nation. I am this enormous failure. I haven't been able to create this great nation. And at this point, Sarai thinks that she's a lost cause. And so she turns to this woman who is this maidservant. So on the one hand, I want to feel a little bit like, how could you just take this woman and then just tell her you have to be with him? And it's very um, power, you know, pay, playing with yes. power a little bit. But then once we clarified with a rabbi that a maidservant was a slave, the text makes very clear. Abraham's wife said, I took Hagar, her Egyptian maidservant, and gave her to her husband, Avram to, to be, be his, his wife. wife. Meaning that wife. I think that Sarai... I mean, whether, I mean, I would assume this was intentional, but she took Hagar and she elevated her into a completely different status than what she was originally, you know, there for, to be a maidservant just to Sarai. And now she has this opportunity to build a family that will have respect because the person that she's building the family with is, you know, this huge patriarch who will take care of her who will take care of her children, who has, you know, lots of property, lots of cattle. And so Hagar actually goes from being just this maidservant without any rights to being a wife, which a wife of Avram at this time means that you probably command a lot of respect. Last um, episode, yeah. we were talking about how much... His wealth. Yeah, how much how he had much... accumulated. Mm -hmm. And if Hagar now knows that any children she bears will be protected by Avram and benefit from his wealth, then Sarai actually did Hagar a favor. A huge favor. A huge favor. Um, and I'm imagining also how disheartening it was for Sarai to see her maidservant become pregnant right away. Oh my gosh. Because here she is thinking like, Avram and I are going to have this great nation and, and, and we're going to be the beginning of, of like a chosen people. And as the years go by, but her faith in that gets chipped away little by little. And then the big blow comes of, oh, she got pregnant right away. That must be Hashem's endorsement for oh. this vision of this nation. Right, maybe God changed his mind. Um, and I think that's kind of why she brings God into it in the end of Pasuke. Um, Yishpot Hashem beniu benecha. Like, what do you think that meant? Because... I I don't know what to how to take that. I know it just let God judge between me and you. What does that mean? And what is he judging exactly? Like whether Avram or Sarai is the 
Well, what did she say right before that? Sarai said to Avram, the abuse I suffer is your fault. I laid my servant in your arms, and now that she knows she's pregnant, she looks upon me with contempt. Let the Lord judge between me and you. I'm I'm wondering what she's accusing Avram of. Or she's asking God to choose sides. What's interesting for me is that God has been making this promise, this covenant with Avram. Mm-hmm. Not Sarai. Oh, wait, but doesn't he include her? He includes her. Does he? In the blessings. No, I mean, I don't know. He keeps saying, I'm going to make you a great nation. Right. Not necessarily is like, maybe it's not with me. I feel like we like, have to decide what, what Avram is being accused of here. And I think what he's being accused of, personally, for me, is letting Hagar have a big head about it. Is... Maybe allowing Hagar to think that it will um, be her. That it's gonna be her. Huh. Avram replies to Sarai, This was your classic. slave in your is in your hands. Do whatever you want with her. I I think that's his way of saying, like kind of giving the reins back to Sarai, giving the power back to Sarai and being like, um, you're the mistress of the house. Right. This is your, you're calling the shots. Mm -hmm. She's a slave in the end. Ram is demoting her back to the Shivcha status and kind of reminding her like, this is your mistress. You listen to her, whether she's the one who's pregnant or not. Do you think this is the first marital spat in the Torah? Do Adam and Chava argue? I don't know if they argue, but I think they just, like, kind of blame the whole uh, tree thing on each other. Oh, really? But there's no argument. I feel like Adam just says, like, she made me do it. And then Chava's like, that snake made me do it. But I don't think there's any argument. I think this is the first. This is a really healthy and realistic back and forth, I think, where, you know, the wife's getting upset husband's like okay let's figure this out you know you're yeah let's keep you feeling secure um in your position in your household and, and he kind of like says you can take the reins here and then sarai abuses hagar and hagar runs away i can't really make excuses for <laughs> here. uh we, we're making a lot of excuses for people but the torah says um <clears throat> said I treated her harshly. Um, said I is pissed. Yeah. She is pissed. She causes her to run away. And it's interesting because it comes directly after Avram said to Sarai, your maid is in your own hands. Do with her whatever you think is best. Said I treated her harshly. <laughs> like that comes like directly after. Like that's what she thought was best. Yes. Um, I'm going to let you know. Where you stand. And also keep in mind, during this entire time, Hagar is pregnant. Yeah. Oh, I didn't think about that. Fleeing while pregnant. Fleeing while pregnant, being abused while pregnant. Do you think it was, like, physical abuse? I don't know. treated her harshly? Emotional. Emotional abuse. Okay. It kind of reminds me of the... um, the dynamic between Penina and Chana in the beginning of Shmuel Aleph. Of like, there's no... This is a blank stare because <laughs> I, don't, I don't know what 
she's talking about? So in the beginning of Samuel 1, mm-hmm. um, Hannah and Penina are both wives um, of a certain gentleman. And Hannah is barren and Penina has children. And she never outright makes fun of Hannah, but she does these things like... Oh, shouldn't I get a double portion because I have to feed all the children here? Oh, like little things that's so like that. Aggressive. So, so when I imagine Sarai abusing Hagar, I don't imagine her like hitting her, but I imagine her saying like, "Because we are the chosen ones, and I am the chosen one, and you're just the maid servant with the." Well, I mean, no, I imagine like emotional. Maybe Hagar was doing the whole Penina thing to her. Yes. Like, oh, oh Abraham, yeah, and also, you know, Abraham's giving me attention because, you know, look what I can do and you can't. <laughs> I don't my know. Body can do. My body can do. Now, she runs away to the desert, uh, and an angel of God encounters her by a spring in the desert mm-hmm. and says, <laughs> but I love this, Hagar, maid of Sarai, where are you coming from and where are you going? All I can think about here is Pesach. Minmanjaya. No. Oh. <laughs> this is all I'm thinking about every time I read it. Where are you? Yeah. Okay. Oh, interesting. What do you what do you think of when you see where where did you come from? Where are you going? Well, the funny what I thought of is Hagar, you are the maid of Sarai. Where'd you come from? Oh. <laughs> I didn't even clock I that. I was just Right. I was I was just at Sarai's house, and I and as, I left. As you know, as right? You know. And so she answers, "I'm running away. I left. I I can't take it anymore." And then the angel of God says, "Shuvi el gevirtech vehitani tachat yadeha." Suffer under her hand. And then the next pasuk says, I will grant you many descendants. There will be so many that they will be uncountable. This is a whole other pact. Remember the in the first episode, you were talking about like Hashem coming to other planets. Right. Or other people. <laughs> Not <laughs> to make other... me sound super normal no. here. Like it's happening here. Right. There's another on, on chosen Earth. nation here, a yeah. parallel one. I think it's a nation. I don't know if it's the chosen nation though. Right. Like he's saying, I'm going to make you a great nation. Okay. And they will be uncountable. Um, By the way, he's making this promise to Hagar, not to Avram. Yes. Uh, I think it's also interesting that um, a representative of God is talking straight to a maidservant. Yeah. Um, That was surprising. Here's for egalitarianism in the Torah. Even, Even slaves get prophesied to in i think embedded within this suffering and reward kind of dichotomy here where go back and suffer and you will get this great reward Hmm. but not don't do anything and run away like if you meaning if you run away you don't get anything but if you go back and you withstand this Yes, I, I don't okay. know. It's called suffering, isn't it? Submit yes. yourself under her hand. Hitani, yeah. Um, you know, and then you'll be rewarded. So, I mean, it's kind of 
hard to read for me that she would have to go back into that kind of existence. And that's the only way. Right. Knowing that she would have to suffer like that. I read it as going back to the household of Avram. Um, I read it as Hashem endorsing Avram. Like anything that happens in that tent is going to be a legacy. You will not reach the same heights if you don't raise your son in the house of Avram. I think it all goes oh, back to an, him. That's an interesting take on it because when you flip forward into Ishmael being raised, I, I mean, I guess I was forgetting Ishmael continued, he, he's born, obviously, eventually, and then Avram raises him and he circumcises him. I mean, we'll get to that, but... Yeah, he's he's raised monotheistic, and I'm assuming you know someone who does chesed just like his father, someone who. So here's so here's what I find uh, ironic, especially in light of what you just said. In Pasuk Yibet, we see um, a prophecy of what Yishmael will be like, what her son Yishmael will be like. He will be a rebel. Pere oh my Adam. God. That's what you have? His hand will be against everyone and everyone's hand will be against him. Still, he will dwell undisturbed near all his brothers. What do you have? Mine is crazy. It says, he will become a wild donkey of a man. <laughs> <laughs> Isn't that so much more fun? Not to put it lightly. And then it says, that, and then it follows yours for translation. So, everyone. so... This is nuts to me because there's kind of no wiggle room here. There's no... For whom? Free Ishmael. Oh. There's no free... I don't know. Is there free will here? So they name him Yishmael Kishama Hashem El Onyech. Hashem heard your suffering. He heard your pleading, I guess. So that also kind of brings it back to the fact that she has to go through... Um, the hardships that Avram's household in order to to merit raising this son who will become this wild ass of a man <laughs> who so will dwell sinning. undisturbed near his brothers. Yes. I guess Abram buys into this whole, I went into the desert and a god, an angel of God came to me because he agrees to name Abram the name that Hagar comes back to him with. Yeah, which means so, he... He, to some extent, respects her, you know, her experience. Her experience, yes, mm -hmm. I agree. And then we come to Perak Yudzain, where the big Jewish mitzvah is introduced. Mm -hmm. The snipping. I didn't realize it was so early <clears throat> on in the Torah. Yeah. It's fascinating. Avram was 99 years old. Hashem appeared to him and said... I am God Almighty. Walk before me and be perfect. What do you What do you got? I, I have I am El Shaddai, which I know that there's this oh. whole other you know topic of the multiple the names, names that God has yeah. and when the Torah uses different names and what they mean. I don't know any of them. <laughs> I know that El Shaddai is one of them. Um, I would love to know uh, what El Shaddai specifically. 
the usages. So what I have in here in my Living Torah by Arya Kaplan, um, El Shaddai in Hebrew, Shaddai is interpreted as being the same as Shaddai, he who has sufficient power. So like die, my power is oh, enough, enough or something Ooh, like that. Interesting. The Torah is saying that in order to be perfect, every part of your body needs to be perfect. Mm-hmm. Was he insinuating that it wasn't? I think so. Because this is where the mitzvah of um, Brit Milah is introduced, right? Oh, so you're saying the imperfection is the fact that he still had a foreskin? Mm-hmm. Ooh. Um, but before that, Avram gets renamed to Avraham. Mm-hmm. So now I'll finally stop inconsistently oscillating between Abram and Abraham and mm-hmm. we're gonna stick with Abraham from now on. Um have you ever studied that like the meanings of letters? Like Hebrew letters I I went to like this weird Kabbalah <laughs> of course you did. <laughs> like a whole meditation thing and we spent a nice amount of it like just write, writing random Hebrew letters and seeing how they make us feel. <laughs> How much did you pay for this? Don't even answer this. Don't even answer this. I will Uh, will lock you in a room with the lights off and and tell you to write letters. The friend who I went there with is probably listening to this and cracking up right now. But anyways. (laughs) um, Did you feel anything? Like, did you write like a zine and you're like, ooh, shit. (laughs) I'm I'm totally messing with you. Okay. But actually, um, the rabbi who wrote this translation, Rabbi Aryeh Kaplan, he wrote a book called Jewish Meditations. And in the book, there's a whole chapter devoted to um, meditating over the name of Hashem, Yudke Vavke. Okay. Okay. I'm not going to mess with that. Hold on. And each letter means something different. And it had to do with giving and receiving. That the yud is like a little hand reaching out. Oh, somebody was talking to me about this. Yes. And date me drash. And the vav yeah. is like the hand outstretched giving, or maybe the opposite. And then the hay kind of brings them together. So it's like that little, the little giving and receiving. I don't know. Cool. So we add a hay to Abraham's name. Um, to indicate a giving and receiving. Of a pact, maybe? Interesting. Yeah. I mean, the way that it's explained here is ki av hamon goyim nitzatiha. Um, I definitely don't know enough about it. I, can't, I shouldn't even be laughing about it. I really don't know anything about it. So it's, it. I don't know, this might be legit. It might be... Also, it... It, it um... The, it strikes me now that... Avram's name the entire time has been pretty significant because what would Hashem have done with somebody who's named something different? Avram means father of many, right? Ram means many. Oh my God. I never even knew that. Doesn't it? Yeah. And then now Hashem just adds that it, hey in there, like right in the Av middle. Av is father. Ram, Ram means no, many. Isn't Ram sound? Call Ram, Ram, oh, call like, Ram out loud. Big. Yeah. I didn't know this. I love that I know this now. Oh, there's a lot of naming stuff. Yeah. And Sarai obviously means princess. So 
Good to know. I was really only taught that like it brings the essence of God now into their life. They're like holier, but oh, I like to... that. That's really nice. Oh, I thought that was like the most basic one. <laughs> no. <laughs> so yeah, they're they each get a hit added. If there's this giving and receiving of a head, that's interesting. The giving and receiving of a covenant now. Yeah, I always thought that was poignant. Yeah, no, I I would agree. And he includes Sadai in it. Yes, Sadai, but Sadai comes after after the Brit Milah. Okay. So so Sadai's name changing comes comes after the mention of circumcision. So the way that Hashem introduces the idea of circumcision is. You must keep my covenant, you and my offspring throughout the generations. Um, this is the covenant. You gotta circumcise every male. Mm-hmm. So it's kind of Hashem's way of keeping the promise going. Um, keeping his pact alive uh, through the circumcision. And I think that's why circumcision is like the most basic um commandment or or mitzvah whatever it is that every almost every jewish man um has kept until now because that is the that is the sign i mean i i definitely don't think it's a coincidence but obviously but later on you know many you know thousands of years later um, when we think about Hellenism and the Greek gymnasiums and how, you know, in order to, you know, be perfect at this sport, they, that they would practice in the nude, um, many, I mean, all Jews, I think, were not allowed because there was such a an obvious difference mm-hmm. um, between their bodies when they practiced in the nude, which is so interesting to me because it's not something that you can cover up then it's kind of something that is not super obvious that's very interesting Um, the thing that circumcision does is it puts a very clear mark on a very sensitive part of a man's body but it is the part of a man's body that is almost always covered Mm -hmm. so there's kind of this balance of like you are outright different than everybody else around you, but it's not going to be something that somebody can tell just by looking at you. Mm-hmm. And what Hellenism did was it kind of brought to bear literally um, that very difference in a really immodest and um, very contrary to the Torah kind of way. Mm-hmm probably on purpose yeah um they're i mean they're worshiping each other's bodies and that's what they valued here's where my beef starts okay oh you got beef yes i have beef a little bit in pasuk yudzain so hashem uh, commands the circumcision then he changes sarah's name Mm -hmm. from sarai to sarah Um, she, and this is where finally Sarah is chosen Mm -hmm. because we were saying before Sarah was never actually involved or included in any of the blessings. And I think at this point, Hashem knows that he has to make the distinction 
because Hagar is the only one with a child right now. Yes. He's promised Hagar all these children. And he's promised Hagar a giant nation. And I guess everybody's waffling, like, is is that the nation that what's oh. happening here? I think outsiders are like, oh, <laughs> the, the children of Ishmael. Are but, or even Avram, maybe. Like, Avram's like, wait, was this the one? And then Hashem kind of nips it in the bud over here and says, nope. Hagar is going to be the mother of a chosen uh, of a nation, but not my chosen nation. Well, I mean, look at Yudchet. It says, "To God, Abraham said, if only Ishmael might live before you.'" Right. I think that's Abraham's way of saying, like, please don't let this be to the exclusion of Ishmael. Like. Oh, is that how you're reading it? That's how I'm reading it. I'm reading it as like, okay, I know you're choosing Yitzchak, but, or I know you're choosing my future son with Sarah, but, mm-hmm. but like, let Yishmael stick around for this. Be included. Um, but my beef is, in Yud Zayin, where Avram falls on his face and laughs, mm-hmm. okay, uh, he said in his heart, I'm going to have a son at 100 years old. Mm-hmm. And my wife, Sarah, at 90 years old is going to have a child. That's a 10-year age difference, by the way. We were wondering oh, yeah. in the first episode. And then Hashem's, Hashem says, "Yes, it's gonna be with her. You're gonna have a uh, you're gonna have a son. You'll name him Yitzchak, um, and he's gonna be the one that um, that I choose." My beef is, and I'm gonna skip a dot into Vayera, where a Malach tells Sarah in Perek Yudchet Pasuk Yud Aleph. Um, the Malach tells Avram and Sarah, Sarah is going to have a son. Sarah hears this and she laughs to herself. Mm-hmm. Same thing, but Titzchak Sarah Bekirba inside her, saying, Now that I'm worn out, Achare Beloti Haitali Edna Beadoniza Ken, now I'm going to have a son? Like, we're old. Right. And then Hashem gets mad. In the next pasuk, I know I'm skipping ahead, but but it has to do with the whole laughing thing. Okay. Hashem gets mad. Why did Sarah laugh and say, "Can I really have a child when I'm so old? Is anything too difficult for God?" My question is, where's that same indignance Good when word. Abraham laughs? Hmm. And, like, Sarah was in her tent. She was just minding her own business, braiding her challah while these guys are talking to Avram outside. And she's just, like, <laughs> chuckling to herself. Right. Why does she get the whole conversation and Avram just gets off scot-free? So, obviously, because maybe she's a woman. But also, <laughs> Avraham and Sarah were very old, advanced in years. The way of women no longer visited Sarah. So Sarah laughed to herself, saying, now that I am worn out, can I have this pleasure with my Lord, an old man? So. Oh, you're saying that in this time she had gone through menopause? I mean, for sure. She's 90. But also it's 
she's saying the Torah talking about periods for the first time, by the oh. way. <laughs> oh my God. Um, uh, the way of women no longer visited Sarah. So, I mean, she's doubting the miracle. <laughs> I don't know if this is on topic, but when I read this, um, in your bet, it says, now that I am worn out, can I have this pleasure? With my <laughs> can I even orgasm <laughs> with my lord and old man? But this was how I read it. And I'm like, is this, can I read it this way? I guess she's talking about the miracle of like, having saying, sex at this age. Yeah, can we even have sex? <laughs> can we even have a do this? It's like half faith. I don't know if that. Have faith, my Sarah. Argument. I don't know. <sighs> I, I don't know why God would have one reaction to Sarai and not Abraham. Maybe because he's finally giving her what she wants. So the indignance is, is this not what you've what you been wanted? asking me for for decades? Right. So Hashem promises that by this time next year, um, you will have a baby with Sarah. Um, but in regard to Ishmael, I'll bless him. I'll make him fruitful. He'll father 12 princes. I'll make him into a great nation. Yeah, who are so, those 12 princes? I don't know. I'm sure the Quran says something yeah. about that. Um, but, but it's very obvious that Ishmael is not being left out. So then Abraham takes everybody and, and circumcises Yes. Them every male, every single male in his household, every slave, every everyone gets circumcised because I guess if you're part of Abraham's household. Yeah. It's got to happen. And Ishmael is 13 when he gets circumcised. And I believe that's why Muslims get circumcised at age 13, right? Yeah. I think it's part of their not as hard as getting it done at 90. <laughs> You're right. Go over home. Okay, we'll end there. Thank you for tuning in. Episode 3 of Layman Learn Torah. These laymen are done. Uh, so done. I think that yeah. was a good two chapters. We will meet next week, hopefully, to discuss uh, chapters 18, where we move into Parashat Vaira. Yes, hopefully... We'll get to enjoy the destruction of Sodom and Gomorrah. <laughs> <laughs> Until next time.